We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Pop Torah with Rabbi Iznopf and Olitsky, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Pop Torah, the podcast where we look at pop culture from a Jewish perspective and Judaism through the prism of pop culture. As always, we are your hosts. I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I am Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. And today we have a very special episode for you. We are coming to you on our one year anniversary of this Pop Torah podcast. Happy anniversary! Happy anniversary. Uh, happy anniversary to all of our tens of listeners out there. Dozens, dozens. Dozens of listeners out there. Uh, and we are in some ways going back and going forward this, uh, this episode to talk about the show that was the subject of our very first episode, the Amazon Prime series, The Boys, uh, which just launched its second season, now streaming on Amazon Prime, four episodes anyway, streaming on Amazon Amazon Prime. Uh, Jesse, you want to catch us up a little bit on the boys and uh, tell us what we've seen so far in the second season? You're right, Mike. Happy anniversary. The boys are back in town. Um, the first season... And we'll, just, and we'll just say, we'll just make sure that everybody knows here that we are going to be talking about everything that we've seen so far in the second season so, and first season, so there are spoilers ahead. Absolutely. I have to say, I'm a little disappointed with how the second season is presented. The first season uh, was bingeable, uh, where all eight episodes came out at once. And if you're anything like me, you could watch it in two days. Uh, the second season, the first three episodes premiered. And then every new episode premieres weekly. It's much harder uh, for me. This is, this is old school TV watching, right? Where you had to you know, watch a show on primetime TV and wait until next week for the new episode to come out. It's, it's hard to Appointment stay television, with, they call it. <laughs> to, to stay with um, what is going on. Last season ended with, with a really surprise. Um, when Homelander ended up killing um, Elizabeth Shue's character, uh, Stillwell, and ended up killing her. And as a result, um, the, the entire season got upended. Season two begins with the boys led by Butcher, Billy Butcher, as fugitives because he's framed for Stillwell's murder because nobody could believe that Homelander would have killed her, especially since they had this very weird uh, sexual relationship, um, you know, almost as a, a, an inappropriate mother-child relationship. They're committed to bringing down Vaught. They're committed to exposing Compound V. Season one also ended with Starlight saving Huey's life instead of killing him. So there's this tension between Homelander and Starlight. Uh, there's tension between because The Deep, uh, who is one of my favorite characters, because he just, again, from a parody perspective, portrays how silly Aquaman is as a superhero. The Deep is stuck uh, in some uh, almost like SeaWorld aquarium-like theme park in Ohio somewhere in middle America. And this show, which focuses on superheroes in the real world as uh, commerce, right? As a way to make money, as a way to sell movies, as a way to sell endorsements. Uh, the, the boys are trying to bring them down. And it plays on Homelander's idea of introducing uh, super terrorists or super villains, uh, giving Compound V to those who seek to do harm so that the army can hire Vought and can hire the Seven to do their work to make the world safe. Um, and season one also ended with Butcher finding out that his wife was alive, thinking that she was killed by Homelander and spends all of season one uh, really trying to uh, seek revenge because he had killed her. Uh, 
finds out that she is alive and she actually has a kid. She has Homelander's kid. We find out in this season a couple things. We find out that she was raped by Homelander uh, and she was essentially in an open air prison and a Vought prison for her to be able to raise um, Homelander's and, and her son, the son that, that she has as a result of this rape. And Homelander didn't know that she existed, that the son existed. He finds her and Butcher now makes it his goal to find her as well. At the beginning of season two, we're introduced to a new member of the seven. Uh, that is Stormfront. Stormfront is a really interesting character. Um, she is both simultaneously uh, criticizing Vought, um, saying you can't trust Vought, even though she is employed by Vought. We'll also... Um, has her own agenda that I think will play out as the season progresses. Um, and as I said, Starlight is trying to bring down the Seven, trying to bring down Vought simultaneously. Uh, the Deep is trying to make a comeback. The Deep is trying to uh, get into the good graces of Vought and the Seven again to return to the Seven. And uh, again, we have this tension going on between the supervillains and um, the superheroes uh, the main supervillain that we see in season two so far was Kimiko's brother, uh, Kimiko, who, who did not speak at all. She was found and really saved by the boys, became a part of the boys. Um, and uh, there ends up being this really tragic scene that leads to lots of death and this tension of does she take her brother's life or not. Um, that's really, really where we are right now. Um, as of episode four, when we are recording this podcast, we found out a couple of things. We found out that Stormfront, spoilers ahead, is also known as Liberty, a uh, sort of second tier uh, JV superhero from the 70s who was accused of a um, racially charged murder. And they're trying to figure out is compound V making it so that she uh, didn't age? Is she trying to reinvent herself? Uh, did she do Sirius Chuva and has she changed or is she still really the, um, the tyrannical um, fascist just uh, in a different costume with a different name. And uh, also Maeve is outed. Uh, Maeve who had to play the role of Homelander's, Arm Candy uh, is outed by Homelander on live television as gay. And what does it mean to have an openly gay superhero in this world? Mike, what are your thoughts about this new season of The Boys? I've been really enjoying this uh, second season so far. I think it, you know, it, it, it deepens and expands on, on a lot of the themes that were presented in the first season that, that we talked about in our, in our very first episode. Uh, the you know the like you said that you know the commodification um of uh, of heroes and, and heroism uh the the way that uh that you know uh extremely uh profitable and, and powerful uh corporations have uh just an extraordinary capacity to shape public opinion and to shape uh narrative um and uh the the ways in which um there isn't always truth in advertising uh but we uh come to believe uh in a world um as it's presented to us by people who then you know profit from uh, our uh our propensity to believe what they're selling um and so i think that that's that's deepened uh i you know i think that uh, i i'm very intrigued uh, by uh, Stormfront, both as a as a character, I think that she um, is is a, a really compelling character in this, really excellently portrayed, uh, and uh, and I'm I'm just kind of curious to see where where that uh, thread takes us uh, in in this journey. Uh, I uh, I think that the um, that the action has been great, the the humor has has landed. Uh, it is even more if you can imagine it uh brutal and bloody than uh season 1 the some of the some of the deaths really graphic are really graphic um so it's not for the the faint of heart uh, but uh, but I think that it is uh, it, it's really a, a great you know expansion of the story continuation of the story um and and deepening of uh, some of the themes that that the story is trying to explore. So let's. There's a great scene, a graphic and gross scene. But if you're thinking about Yom Kippur afternoon already, about literally Huey being stuck inside a whale, uh, 
in a very graphic conclusion to a standoff between uh, the deep and the boys. Yeah, that's that's right. Uh, I thought very much about the book of Jonah then and, and the insight that um, that uh, Rabbi Ed Feinstein taught. I'm sure others have, have shared this insight as well, uh, that, you know, Jonah is really a misanthrope. Uh, he, uh, you know, does not he believes in sort of like radical truth and, and, and perfect justice. Uh, and, uh, and everybody else in the story, uh, from the sailors to the people of Nineveh to God, uh, believes in the possibility of, of transformation, of, of people changing, of uh, tempering justice with, with uh, kindness and mercy. But Jonah doesn't. Uh, and the, the way or the, the great fish that Jonah gets swallowed by uh, is, uh, is really a moment of reckoning for Jonah uh, that, that at least temporarily he, he comes uh, to, uh, to, to realize the error of his ways when he's in the, pre- in, in, the, in the belly of that fish. And Rabbi Feinstein says that, you know, that, that essentially, you know, God says to Jonah in that moment, you know, you want to be alone in the world. Right? You want to be in a world where you don't have to deal with the, with the problems and imperfections of, of other people. Um, here's what that looks like. Right? It's death, basically. Right? So I'm going to mimic death for you inside the belly of this fish. It smells terrible. It looks terrible. It's uncomfortable. Right? Like, like this, is, this is what you want. Is that what you want? Right? And Jonah then you know, uh, 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 you, uh, prays and, and you know, maybe arguably does chuva, gets spit out by the whale, and then goes uh, and, and performs his mission somewhat half-heartedly, right? But, but that's, I think, you know, the, the imagery that we see in, in, in this story that, uh, that, you know, in some ways that, that Huey and, and, uh, and the other members of the boys have to, have to confront, um, which is, you know, where does the pursuit of, of strict justice lead you? Um, and is it always for the good? I think justice uh, is subjective, right? Uh, and uh, this high holiday season, specifically, we say, tzedakah, not as charity in this case, but tzedakah as tzedakah as justice, um, that this has the ability to uh, change the harshness of our reality. And yet, uh, we have very different ideas of what justice look like the entire first season is an attempt for the boys to pursue justice, right? Tzedek, Tzedek, Trudeau, if they are taking justice into their own hands, if we remember, we talked about this our very first episode, the show begins with Huey seeing his girlfriend explode because she's literally run over by A-Train. A-Train runs so fast, he runs into her and her, her graphically, her guts explode everywhere. And he is trying to, uh, kill him. He's trying to hold them accountable. Billy Butcher finds him. And the whole idea of the first season is about justice being revenge. Uh, that true justice is a sort of ayin tachat ayin, an eye for an eye concept. Speaking of uh, justice, uh, there's a little bit of uh, comeuppance for A-Train in, in season two, uh, at least in, in episode four, where he's uh, where he's kicked out of the seven and there's this great, you know, perfectly red line by uh, Homelander. That's, you know, that's like, uh, you know, he, he sort of deadpans. It's not personal. We'll always be friends, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> but then what happens in typical parody of uh, the superhero world and celebrity status. And then when Homelander is questioned about the hashtag superhero show whites campaign, he says, well, of course we have a train he's of color. So even though he kicked him out, he's using him as the token black superhero. Um, they're trying to pursue justice in the entire first season. And well, the jury is still out if justice was pursued, I would say that they failed. Uh, they, they failed at what they were trying to do. They failed because Butcher spent the entire first season trying to get revenge because he thought his wife uh, was killed. And turns out she was still alive. He did not achieve what he was trying to do. Uh, Huey tried to expose Vought. Starlight helped and exposing Vought and in this season uh, reveals that Compound V that they all these superheroes were actually scientific experiments by Vought and Vought uh, denies accountability, denies that they had anything to do with it, that this was a surprise to them as well. And to me, it's really a statement of um, 
revenge not getting us what we want. I think when the Torah talks about eye and tachad eye and it goes through this whole, right, this, this whole segment, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, skin for skin, nefesh tachad nefesh, life for a life, a soul for a soul, the rabbis are uncomfortable with this, not because they're uncomfortable with the idea of killing, not because they're uncomfortable with the idea of capital punishment, although I think they are. I think the rabbis understood from a ideological and even a theological perspective that we are not God, and it's not up to us to decide who shall live and who shall die, certainly appropriate for this time of year. But they also realize that revenge doesn't get us to where we want to be. Uh, killing somebody doesn't bring back our loved one who died. Uh, that the idea of eye for an eye doesn't get us to a place where that burning feeling inside of us is quenched. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, you, you raise a really interesting point. And, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, a major challenge. I, I think that the rabbis are, you know, like you said, the rabbis are, are uncomfortable, um, not necessarily with the concept of justice or even the concept of revenge as justice, right? You know, and that, uh, that, uh, that law in the Torah of uh, an eye for an eye is, is known in Latin as, as lex talionis, uh, meaning the, the law of revenge. Right. Uh, because it, it's it's, you know, you, you uh, receive what you what you gave. Um, and you're. I think that the rabbis are uncomfortable with it, you know, in part because, like you said, we're not God and, and we have the propensity to uh, make mistakes. Um, and also, you know, our our uh, desire to uh, make the justice equivalent to the crime um, isn't always. Uh, um, what happens in reality, right? So they, so they envision, right? So you say an eye for an eye, but like if I poked out, God forbid, somebody's eye um, who had only, you know, who had two eyes and I have only one eye. And so the, the, you know, the, ven the law of vengeance says you got to poke out my eye. Well, then I'm left with no eyes, but at least the person whose eye, whose eye I poked out still has one working eye, which is, which is actually, unfair. So, um, so it, it has the propensity for, um, you know, that the desire for justice has the capacity for, you know, embedded in it for a miscarriage of justice. But I, but I want to, you know, pick apart a little bit that the, the idea that you raised there, because I think it's really interesting because you're suggesting that, um, that the, you know, the, that one of the goals of justice is to rectify the wrong that was done. And if, you know, if someone's eye is poked out, right, poking my out, poking my eye out is not going to fix that problem, right? Uh, if I kill somebody, God forbid, uh, you know, killing me is not going to bring that person back. So then what do we have? What should we do? I think certainly in the eyes of the bereaved, right, in the eyes of those who are grieving uh, mourners, um, that is what many pursue perceive justice to be right that that they want um punishments or accountability for the perpetrator for those who have caused harm uh, knowingly or unknowingly intentionally or unintentionally uh, i think that's often what drives us when we seek revenge somebody harmed us and so we want to harm them. Somebody hurt us, so we go out of our way to hurt them. And this is true, by the way, in, in the grand scheme of things, this is also very true to all of us in our lives, right? Especially in this moment, we spend the entire season, the entire month doing cheshbon hanefesh, doing a real accounting of our souls in preparation for these high holidays where we stand before the Holy One, blessed be God, and pour our souls out, admit our mistakes, admit our transgressions, and try to do real tshuva, try to do real repentance. And in doing so, we ask for forgiveness for all that we've done wrong. But what we really have to do is ask for forgiveness, I think, as well, for our desire to wrong others. Because that's really a, a part of this. Justice, I, I think, is accountability for one's actions. When we ask for forgiveness, we're not saying uh, that we shouldn't be punished. We're not saying that there aren't consequences for what we've done wrong. Uh, we're just asking 
to have the opportunity to start anew, to have a clean slate, to try to begin again. I, I think with revenge, we have a hard time beginning again. When we are the ones who are wronged, we are unable to begin again because the grief that we feel for somebody wronging us or a loved one, hurting us, harming a loved one, carries with us. It actually shapes us in a very negative way. And even if we forgive somebody else, which I, I think is a part of this chuva process as well, it's much harder to forgive someone than to ask for forgiveness. As hard as it is to acknowledge our mistakes and ask for forgiveness, it is that much harder to be on the receiving end of that I'm sorry, of that apology, and have the the strength to forgive. But forgiving somebody doesn't mean that the scars are not there. doesn't mean that the wounds are not there. doesn't mean that that pain goes away. And so how do we look at justice? How do we pursue justice in a way that acknowledges that that pain will never go away, that that hurt never goes away? Is our goal to make that pain go away? If it is, then our, our goals are flawed. Our actions are flawed because we will never achieve that. We will never get to a point where that pain goes away. Time heals, but time doesn't change the reality. You know, I read a, a book a couple of years back called uh, Beyond Revenge. It was written by an, an evolutionary psychologist. Um, and he, he talked about... Uh, you know, the, 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 the evolutionary role that revenge played, like why we have a, a propensity for revenge, right? He, he said, like, we often talk about revenge, you know, uh, and forgiveness in moral terms, right? But they're, but they're, but they may be moral categories, uh, but they're also uh, instincts that are uh, built into us from, you know, from, uh, from, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years of evolution. And uh, he, he argued that one of the, that the, that the uh, instinct for revenge is based on really two things. One is, um, uh, you know, a, a desire for the person that hurt you um, to not hurt you again. And a desire to be seen by others as a person who um, is not the kind of person that uh, that absorbs blows without fighting back, right? Because if you think about that from an evolutionary perspective, that actually has tremendous uh, benefits, right? In in uh, in you know in a uh, in a competitive society or something like that, right? You you want to be known at, by the person who injured you and by others as like a person that's not to be trifled with, right? And I think that 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 uh, justice. Um, serves that function uh, socially too, right? So, you know, one, uh, we want to make sure that the person who committed a crime um, or, or, you know, committed some kind of injury against another person uh, doesn't do that again, right? So they are held accountable for that transgression. So in order to at least hopefully uh, teach them that like, you're, this is not something you should do anymore to that person. And also as a deterrent factor to the rest of society to say that, that we are not a society that allows for people to behave this kind of way. And if you do, you will be held accountable for your misdeeds. Now, um, there, there are all sorts of, you know, uh, sociological analyses that, that say, you know, the way that we currently do crime and punishment in contemporary America, uh, in various ways, doesn't, uh, doesn't actually achieve either of those ends, right? So no, like, not at all. It's a racist the the, institution. Right. The, right, the, de the death penalty classically is, you know, we, we say that, that, you know, that, that it's for the same, for those two reasons, that those are almost always the arguments for it. And it turns out that the death penalty, you know, doesn't impact the murder rate um, in places that have it, right? Uh, so, um, so, so, this is, I think, the the challenge, though, um, of the of the scheme of forgiveness that that we talk about in the high holidays, you know, which is especially when we're talking about people that are that are that that aren't the people who come to us seeking forgiveness, right? Who who don't show remorse about the thing that they did, because arguably you could say, okay, if this person shows remorse about the thing that they did, and I can see that their chuva is sincere then they are not a person who will hurt me again in the same way that they hurt me before. And 
people can know that I forgave this person because they, you know, they, 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 uh, you know, tried to rectify the problem. They showed, you know, remorse, they're changing. Right. So it, it doesn't give license to everybody who might hurt me to hurt me, uh, in, in the same way. So I can wrap my head around it for the repentant sinner, but here, you know, like in the boys we're dealing with, you know, um, Homelander is totally unrepentant for what he did to Butcher's wife. Um, and Vought is totally unrepentant for, uh, for, for the experimentation that they've done with Compound V uh, and for the behavior of their superheroes. So I, I guess the question that I have is, you know, how would you counsel Butcher? How would you counsel the other members of the boys in a situation like that? Should they, should they forgive even if forgiveness isn't, isn't sought, even if there's no tshuva? It's a really difficult question, especially during this season. What does one do? What, how is one able to get out of, get anything out of the high holidays if the main, uh, the, the essence of this season is tshuva, is repentance, acknowledgement that all of us are flawed beings, uh, that none of us are perfect and um, we all make mistakes and the only thing that we can try to do in the new year is be better. What do we do when with somebody who is unwilling to acknowledge their flaws? Listen, uh, truthfully, that, that I think is not, not to make so many of our conversations are political, not to make this overtly political. I think that that is one of the biggest problems about having a narcissist in the White House. That they are on, when, when President Trump is unable to acknowledge that he's made mistakes, all he does is make those mistakes that he's made even worse. Uh, when a, a simple mea culpa, an acknowledgement of those mistakes could go a long way. Uh, what do we do with somebody who is unwilling to repent? Listen, you cannot change somebody unless they are willing to change themselves. You can't force somebody to go to therapy. You can't force somebody uh, to go to treatment um, for addiction, right? Somebody has to want to help themselves. That being said, even when somebody is not sorry, I actually believe that the weight that we carry when we are mad and angry at somebody is way heavier than the guilt that somebody carries uh, when they've done something wrong. That weight that we carry is even more heavy when the person who victimized us doesn't carry any weight at all, that they, aren't, that, that they aren't sorry. That has the potential to make us angrier, more mad, to make us uh, wanna do things to them that are, are obscene um, and inhumane. I don't believe that carrying that grudge is worth it or, or, or healthy. We need to be willing to let go as well. How do I counsel somebody who feels no remorse? I, I don't think that they can be counseled, right? Somebody needs to be, this is what uh, those who, who work in therapy will tell you. This is those who work in re rehab will tell you. Somebody needs to be willing to help themselves. If they're not willing to help themselves, if they're not willing to see themselves as flawed, then there's nothing any of us can do. It's true for this season. If somebody is not willing to do cheshbon hanefesh, then it's not worth showing up for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Somebody is not willing to do that accounting of themselves and counting of them, their souls. They just see Tashlich as throwing bread into the water for ducks to eat and not as a real uh, emitting of sins and transgressions. Then we're missing the point entirely of the season. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. You know, it reminds me of um, a, a, you know famous teaching uh, that says bearing a grudge against someone is like drinking poison and hoping that it will hurt the other person, right? Um, so that the, that 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 holding on to you know the the anger, um, the urge for vengeance, the the you know the the resentment that we have against somebody who's who's harmed us um, is corrosive 
to us, right? And, and um, you know, having uh, worked uh, a, a little bit uh, with, with folks in, um, in, in addiction recovery, I mean, I can say that, you know, almost to a person, um, an aspect of their story, right? The, 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 the hole in their soul that they're trying to, as my teacher, Rabbi Mark Borowitz puts it, the hole in their soul that they're trying to fill up with the, with, with the substance or with the behavior um, uh, is quite often um, related to um, unresolved trauma um, that they're still holding on to, uh, um, you know, and either haven't worked it out with the person that hurt them or haven't been able to let it go. And so that the, the, the pain that they're carrying um, is what they try to anesthetize with, uh, with, with the, with the chemical or, or with the, or with the behavior. Um, and so, so it is, you know, I, I think you're right. It is, a, it, it is, you know, uh, a weight that so many of us carry our, our inability to, uh, you know, let go of our resentments uh, and to forgive on that level, um, even for people who haven't uh, sought our forgiveness. And, and let's, let's be honest, I mean, most of us um, are not the victims of, uh, of, of, you know, atrocities like Butcher in, in The Boys, right? We're, we're you know, we're, we have more I don't want to minimize anybody's uh, pain, but we have more uh, petty grievances, right? Um, in other words, we, we have, we have, we have, we have uh, more, more sort of interpersonal slights. Somebody said something, you know, nasty to us or about us, you know, somebody, you know, uh, a partner cheated us or something like that. Um, they, they may, they may have significantly impacted our lives. They may have deeply hurt. Um, they may have caused, you know, physical injury to us or somebody else. Um, but we're, you know, we, I think that it's, it's, you get caught up in, um, in, you know, in, in the sort of extreme examples of drama, uh, or you get, you know, uh, down the rabbit hole of, well, you know, how does this impact, you know, uh, victims of the Holocaust, right. Or something like that, which, uh, you know, which, which are really important moral questions, but also, um, perhaps in some cases, the exception uh, to the rule or the exception that proves the rule. Uh, and, and the slights that we're dealing with, the injuries that we're dealing with um, are, uh, are, are of a different order. One of the reviews, um, positive reviews for season two of The Boys suggests really that nothing changes in this world or for the characters. They continue to make the same mistakes over and over again comparing them actually to Tony Soprano and the Sopranos, the cyclical behavior became the backbone of the series and a valuable piece of commentary in its own right. And that's a, a review from cinemablend.com. That's the problem, right? When we are unwilling to do chuva, we end up in this cyclical process of thinking we know what's best and thinking that we are always right and end up always being wrong. We always end up failing and never achieving our goal because we can never achieve that goal. We can never get, this goes back to our initial conversation about justice. We can never get to that finish line of making ourselves feel better about the grief that we are experiencing. When somebody is in mourning, that grief never goes away. I, I tell families that when they do Creo, when they tear a ribbon or tear a garment, that the reason we do that is that represents the permanent tear in our hearts and in our souls. But also if you've ever torn a garment and you go to the tailor, they're able to fix it. And so to somebody far away, it looks as if it's a brand new dress, a brand new shirt, a brand new sweater. But when you look up close, you're able to see remnants of that tear. And when we're grieving, when we're hurting, eventually, we learn to adjust to this new world and this new reality. And for somebody from afar, they think that we're doing fine, but up close, you still see that, that that grief never fully goes away. We mourn forever. And I think the failure of the boys uh, in seeking revenge is that they think that once they get revenge, they'll feel better. But the truth is, that idea is flawed. We never feel better by seeking revenge. We only feel better by accepting our reality and looking to, to forgive. So I, I think that that's a, a, a beautiful teaching and, and really well put, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm gonna steal it. Um, 
because it's uh, it's just really touching uh, and and true, deeply true. Um, or I'm going to borrow it and and uh, and quote you in, when I teach it. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, listen, I think that that there there are two you know issues to to raise here. You know, one is you know is the is the the revenge that the boys are seeking is it to make themselves feel better or is it to you know rid the world of the threat posed by vot and vot's superheroes uh and you know i mean it, it could be it, it could be about both of those things simultaneously Right. And I, you know, I, I, I think about this, you know, again, you know, we, we, we don't want to get uh, too deep into politics this time around, but um, you know, yes. Right. We have, you know, an, uh, uh, someone who is uh, thoroughly unrepentant for any mistakes or transgressions that uh, he has or is making has made or is making in, in the white house. Um, and many of us uh, feel a, a tremendous amount of anger about, that and you know the anger is compounded by the fact that that you know he has never nor will ever uh, acknowledge uh, any mistakes or, or missteps, um, and so the anger is compounded by that. And so yeah, I mean you know there's a piece of me that uh, that that has that revenge instinct, and and you know it, that probably won't make me feel better personally. But I do think that you know that that there's a that you know because that individual is in a position of such extraordinary power that, you know, that, that, that it, it is proper and it is good to take them out of that position of power, you know, by whatever, you know, peaceful and lawful means uh, I, I have, you know, namely my, my, my vote and my, you know, first amendment rights. Right. So, uh, so, you know, I, I think that's tricky when it comes to the boys, because on the one hand, you know, they are pursuing personal revenge, right? Their motivations are, are deeply personal. The superheroes impacted them personally negatively, right? It's not altruistic in a sense that they're, you know, doing this to everybody. But, but at least partially in intent, if not in effect, what they're trying to do is, is rid the world of something very dangerous, which is, you know, um, uh, people who either are terrible people uh, who are in positions of extreme power uh, or people who have been so thoroughly corrupted by their power that in, in effect have become, you know, terrible people uh, uh, with the capacity to commit atrocities, you know, and, and, you know, Stormfront is, you know, I want to move to her a little bit because I think she's a, a great example of this and also, uh, you know, as as somebody who you know has uh, is is at the very least a morally questionable character, although I think uh, episode four really shows, or episodes three and four really shows that that she's not just morally questionable; she's actually uh, perhaps villainous. Uh, and uh, the rest of the seven just haven't seen it yet, or the world hasn't seen it yet, but we know where she's coming from, what her motivations are. So, you know, here's somebody with extraordinary power uh, who, uh, who, who is thoroughly corrupted by that power or, or is just a terrible person who happens to have power, right? And, and what do you do about someone like that? And then there's another aspect of Stormfront that I think is relevant to this conversation, which is now we know that she is a rebranded, uh, superhero that was once Liberty, who had committed a, a, a terrible racially motivated crime uh, and evaded accountability for it, uh, and 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 now has reinvented herself as Stormfront. And so, you know, that is one of the questions of I, I think Yom Kippur of the process of tshuva, um, and in particular for uh, you know for those who you know kind of make it through the high holy day season uh, without doing tshuva. Um, you know, Yom Kippur, uh, the, the term kapara in Hebrew is, is kind of like covering up, right? Like God sort of like covers up what we had done before and enables us to move beyond it, right? Uh, to, to have, you know, renewed lives, even in the face of what we may have done in, in the past. Um, is, in what way is that desirable? <laughs> and, and in what way uh, is that... Um, giving does that give license to more bad behavior in the future? I'm really interested in seeing what happens with the rest of season two and Stormfront. 
Um, was it that she was cast out as Liberty because of this racially charged murder, because she was a racist, because she was a bigot? Um, well, we like to think that once a bigot, always a bigot. We also believe in a, a world of chuva. We just spend half of this podcast talking about the need to do chuva. Chuva is really about change. Right, Chuva is about a, a willingness to start over and begin again. Now, Stormfront, the the jury. Does she strike out. you? Does she strike you as a balat Chuva? You, you know, the jury is still out. Um, you you and I have very different views on who Stormfront is right now. Um, in some ways, she's trying to bring down Vought and bring down the patriarchy. Um, right? She initially presented as this feminist liberator. Uh, is only once it was revealed that she was actually Liberty, that she may have been exposed. But I think that also speaks to, especially in this world and this climate, when we have done wrong, how hard it is to begin again. And I'm taking the, the opposite view in that it may take having to move to another city, having to change your name, because society is a greater jury than our criminal justice system. That even if you've done time, how do you rebuild? Um, even in, in this world of cancel culture, if we want to use that term, and we've made decisions ourselves of who should be held accountable for their actions, their transgressions. Um, well, e even if one has said that they're sorry, society has decided, nope, we are not casting that person in another film. We are not hiring that director for another film. We are not listening to that person's album ever again. And, you know, is it that this person who was clearly racist in their 1970s iteration did tshuva and the only way to truly do tshuva is to begin again anew with a totally different identity because they were actually not able to truly be forgiven by society? Or is it that in order to... Um, preach their same racist, bigoted theory. They had to create a new identity, sort of the QAnon uh, conspiracy, right? That, that you have to create a brand new conspiracy because people who, who are racist and bigots don't want to be told that they're racist and bigots. But if there's a new conspiracy, a, a new bandwagon to jump on, the Stormfront bandwagon, which by the way, that name may be quite intentional, um, if, if you look at the names of some of the, the uh, white nationalist uh, neo-Nazi websites out there. Um, that that's, so, that's, so, that's, that's such a great insight. I, know I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Taking on a new identity to, to almost, right, the, the sort of Charlottesville-esque uh, khakis and, and polo neo-Nazis. She's taking on new identity to preach the same bigotry but make that bigotry more acceptable yeah i mean i guess we'll see you know in the end uh who stormfront is uh and you know and and, and i think you raise a good point is you know um uh it, you know in 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 a society that you know is very i think mired in in judgment and judgmentalism um you know that uh that that uh, that that is that is quick to you know uh, cast out its lepers, um, but uh, but but very unwilling to you know let people back in once once they've healed, um, if they've healed, um, you know uh, do, do do any of us have uh, you know do any of us have a chance other than you know you know total you know totally reinventing and and you know changing our names, assuming a new identity and, and, and becoming someone else, you know, on the other hand, um, you know, it, it also, uh, uh, that same capacity, uh, can, can enable, uh, us to, um, to, to evade accountability for our, for, for our transgressions. You know, and I think that, I, you know, I think that you're, you're, you're onto something about, about Stormfront, because I, I do think that, you know, you just actually, uh, you know, let me hit upon an insight that I hadn't had, which is, you know, the, the sort of metamorphosis of what racism, you know, overt racism looks like in, in the country from, you know, from, you know, sort of like the neo-Nazis uh, of, um, you know, the, you know, the, of the 20th century to the alt-right 
of the 21st century, which is essentially Nazism, but with different branding and, and a more sort of ironic disposition. And that is very present in, in Stormfront. And I think that the, uh, that the thinking is that, you know, that, that you can always, uh, that you can always sort of, you know, disavow uh, the charges of, of, of racism and obnoxious ideology by, by, saying, by saying, why can't you take a joke, you know, um, uh, and, and having that kind of ironic disposition. There's another documentary uh, out uh, called Feels Good Man, uh, which is about the cartoon character Pepe the Frog, uh, which uh, has been appropriated uh, by uh, white nationalists and other, you know, horrific internet trolls uh, to be, uh, you know, to be a, essentially a hate symbol, like the 21st century swastika. It was this cartoon frog that had absolutely nothing to do with, um, with, with anything hateful in its inception, but it was appropriated by, you know, uh, people on the internet, essentially as a way of saying, you know, like, like you're you're calling us, you know, Hitler. But like, how can we be Hitler if our symbol is this like like ridiculous uh, cartoon frog, right? Like like chill out a little bit. And that disposition of telling people to chill out um, is actually potentially more makes them more dangerous, right? Because because you you know like you can identify a Nazi, right? But uh, but but like if if people say like ah oh, but you like it was just a joke, right? Um, it's 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 much more slippery. I also want us to return to this conversation about justice. Uh, you talked about justice in the personal sense and justice in the communal sense. Starlight's intention, uh, and she is really the one who is responsible on the inside um, using um, Gecko, I believe it is, um, is, is that his, his name? Um, who is the one that she blackmails to get the sample of compound V yes, from. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, from the inside, she exposes Vaught and exposes them for using humans as science experiments. That in, in a way is justice. When we think about justice, when we march in protest and we say no justice, no peace, we're, we're talking about two types of justice, right? When we talk about police brutality and racial injustice, we're talking about holding the officers who have shot and killed black men and women at a disproportionate rate, holding them accountable. But we're also talking about completely rethinking policing in this country. Um, one is much more of a revenge issue, is accountability issue. And one is trying to create a more just society as a whole. So, you know, I think about what Huey and Butcher and MM are all trying to do, right? What the boys are trying to do. And then I think about what Starlight was trying to do, trying to disrupt the system and change the system entirely. When we talk about the high holidays, this idea of Hayom Harat Olam, that this is the birthday of the world and the pillars that, Mishnah tells us the world was created on, on prayer and on um, our ethics and values of Torah and on acts of kindness. And we're told that it's only through justice that we can change the harshness of the reality we're living in. I like to think of justice and our mission to do justice more as a worldly justice. That's much more um, acceptable to me. I'm able to swallow that in a way that it's more difficult that the personal justice was still all too often comes off as revenge. Yeah. Starlight's an interesting character because it, you know, I think she begs the question of, you know, can you radically transform a system? Can you change a system? Can you bring down a system while still benefiting from that same system? Right. And, and so Starlight has not given up her role in the seven. Uh, and, you know, and, and she, you know, does everything she can to, uh, to, you know, obscure, you know, the ways in which she is trying to work to undermine Vought. Um, there's something, you know, kind of pure about the way the boys are going about uh, their their mission to undermine Vought and to bring down Vought and, and the superheroes, right? Starlight is a, is a little bit more questionable. On the other hand, like, you know, maybe that is 
um, maybe that's the, the, the wise way of doing it, right? Maybe she's in a better position to, uh, to, to affect meaningful change precisely because of her, of her privilege. Um, that's, you know, that's, I think, a question that's, that, uh, that, that we're, I think, grappling with right now in, in, in our country when it comes to uh, racial justice and, and the role of, uh, of white allies, right? Um, you know, like, what is, what is our place uh, in advancing uh, a, a new, you know, a new order of racial equity, when we still, in many ways, benefit from uh, from you know the 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 uh, system of white supremacy that that's in place, um, and uh, and it's also a question that I have, you know, about um, you know about all of the sort of anonymous uh, officials within the uh, the the Trump administration who you know claim to be you know saving the president from his own worst instincts and and you know averting you know real significant disaster for the country right um, you know are, are those people admirable uh, or are those people um, in some sense cowardly uh, because if they you know if they really believed uh, in uh, in uh, you know in, in the danger posed by uh, by the Trump presidency, they would, you know, make a public stand uh, and slash or resign their positions. Right. So um, so I, 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 I wonder about that, uh, Jesse, and I think that that's a high holiday question, too, is, um, you know, uh, like how pure do we have to be in our desire to do good? Um, how how much risk do we need to take? Uh, for our ideals, uh, and uh, you know, and 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 can't you know, is it is it enough to you know, kind of uh, protect ourselves while also trying to do as much good as we can? Dr. King's final speech, uh, which really came hours before he was assassinated, uh, for, from a historical perspective, right? I believe he gave it the day before he was murdered. Um, where he and his family were getting multiple death threats a day. People were calling his home and telling his wife and children that they were going to kill him. He, he was saying, um, I, I, you know, we've been to the mountaintop. I may not get to the promised land with you. He knew that he was willing to risk his life for this cause, for the cause of human rights, for the cause of civil rights, for the cause of racial equality, a cause that we're still fighting for. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. It's a question of when are we responsible for putting our lives on the line? And it's a, it's a good question. I mean, there, there have been times in, in this, and Mike, I know that you've experienced this as well, uh, when you and I have publicly criticized the president, um, have called for, when we called four years ago uh, during uh, a conference, a rabbinic walkout. Uh, we were trolled. I was getting emails and phone calls to our institutions, um, really, you know, trolling on all forms of social media. Uh, supporters of a tyrant are often lemmings. And um, how do we balance fighting for justice while also ensuring that we want to keep our, our own um, our own lives and our own communities and our own families safe. And while I do think that there is a cowardly aspect of some of the anonymous claims, I understand that they're trying to protect their lives. I don't see that as cowardly. I see the people like John Bolton who did not speak up when they were in the administration and waited to reveal it in a book. That is cowardly and that is shameful. Um, but I, I do understand Starlight is scared. Starlight is worried Homeland's going to kill her uh, and waiting that he's waiting for her every time she turns the corner and enters a dark hallway. She's worried about her own life because she is risking her life to try to expose Vought. I, I appreciate that those who try to speak out anonymously uh, are, are trying to make change while are worried about their own safety. You mentioned Dr. King. Uh, he he also uh, put out a call once uh, that uh, that we should be extremists for love, uh, and I and I think about that. You know, we on on the high hall on Yom Kippur, we have a, a section of the service called Ella Ezkara, uh, which uh, which recounts 
uh, all of the Jewish martyrs throughout history, people who uh, died rather than uh, give up their faith and give up their beliefs, um, people who were put to death um, because they didn't renounce their 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 Judaism, uh, and and were I think you know told on Yom Kippur to to venerate those people in a way, right, that we should, you know, that there should be things um, that we, you know, should hold as even more precious than our lives. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I think that most things in, in Judaism, we, we are supposed to protect our lives rather than, uh, rather than, uh, uh, you know, violate, uh, we can violate a commandment uh, in order to save our lives or to save somebody else's life, uh, uh, except for a very small handful of things. Um, and I think that that ultimately um, what the Jewish tradition values above all else uh, is um, our, um, is, is uh, our, you know, uh, how we regard each other and the kind of uh, society we're working to build uh, for ourselves, for our children, for each other, uh, and that we should be um, extremists for that, right? Extremists for inclusion, extremists for justice, um, extremists for uh, for for peace, um, uh, and uh, and 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 so there are things that we should cherish uh, even above our lives and our livelihoods, though perhaps not many things. Mike, both you and I are busy uh, preparing for this season of awe and amazement, these Yamim Noraim, as the, uh, Rosh Hashanah begins this week. Um, a high holidays that will look totally different. Um, I'm all about, and I've told this to my community, embracing that difference, embracing that it's weird, embracing that it's strange. If we try to make it like previous years and try to make it feel like previous years, we'll all be disappointed. Uh, any last thoughts? Uh, our last thoughts of 5780 before we begin the new year. I couldn't be more happy to say goodbye to 5780 uh, and uh, looking forward to 5781. Um, there's a lot of hope and possibility embedded in a in any new year, um, but I think that uh, so many of us uh, need to hold on to that uh, hope and sense of possibility for uh, the year to come. What I would what I would say is. Um, you know, uh, while we look forward to the things that we are leaving behind uh, uh, from the year that's passed, um, take an opportunity to, uh, to, to hold on to what you've learned and how you've grown uh, during this time, because during, especially during times of trial and times of challenge, uh, that's where actually growth ends up being most present. Um, and so I think for many of us, um, it's easy to, to focus on, you know, what our challenges have been and what we've lost during this time. And for some of us, those losses have been great. Uh, but I also think that there are, are ways that we can see what, what we've gained uh, and, and how we've grown during this time. And we can nurture uh, that growth in in the year to come and 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 build it into something extraordinary, uh, and and also to to recognize you know as as many of us approach a high holiday season in which we are still social distancing in which we'll still be um, in in which we'll still be distant from each other physically uh, that uh, that there that we can be and have the capacity to be spiritually close. Um, even when we are physically distant. Um, I think that that is true right now. I think that that's true in all times. I think it's even true uh, um, uh, for those who have experienced loss, um, that, uh, that, that just because someone is no longer physical pre physically present in our lives, um, that, uh, that, that, that doesn't need to rupture the connections and, uh, that we have with them or the, or the presence, the spiritual presence uh, that, they, that they have in our lives. Um, so I want to encourage us to, uh, to, to hold on to that sense uh, and that recognition that even if we're physically distant, even if we remain physically distant, um, that we can be spiritually close with one another. What about you? Yeah, I think um, for me, the focus of these holidays is about health um, and that uh, a reminder that uh, health comes first, that our faith talks about uh, the idea of saving life as um, superseding all other mitzvot. And so when we talk about how to celebrate um, 
our own community has made decisions that has put our health and our safety and our well-being at the core of what we're doing and how we're doing things. And it may not be how we're used to doing things and how we like to do things, uh, but our health comes first. And so I want us to end 5780 by most importantly, wishing everybody not just a happy new year, but a healthy new year, because may we build a world that is a healthier world. And only once that is the case, uh, can we build a world that is a happier world in the new year. So Mike, wishing you a Lashana Tova, uh, um, may you be written and sealed for a good year. May all of us be written and sealed for a better year in the year to come. Amen, amen, amen. Shana tova, umetukat. You, Jesse, and to all of our listeners, a happy, sweet, uh, and above all, healthy new year um, in, in the year to come. Uh, we look forward to continuing our Pop Torah conversation in 5781. Uh, we hope that uh, you will uh, rate and review us if you haven't already, uh, so that uh, more people can uh, be invited to join in this uh, conversation and in this learning together. Um, And if you haven't already, please subscribe on Spotify or uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your fine podcasts. Uh, Until then, uh, I am Rabbi Michael Knopf. And I'm Rabbi Jesse Olitsky. Shana Tova, everyone.